In studying logic, if you accept the first precept of an argument, then everything else after it should make sense. But if you don't accept the first precept, then nothing else matters in that argument because you don't agree with the first precept. Now imagine if I have a string with a weight on it. I'm holding the string, the weight is down here. If at any point I cut that string, the rest of it falls off. So if I'm having the history of salvation being represented by this string, and we are the weight, if I cut at the very top, that means I don't, everything else after the beginning falls, and it doesn't make sense. What I'm about to tell you is the top of this string. So if you don't agree with it, nothing else that we do makes sense. God did not make death. That's the top of the string. He didn't. Death is a result, a direct result, of sin. St. Paul affirms this when he says the wages of sin is death. So God did not make death, but death is a result of original sin entering into the world. Thanks, Adam and Eve. They were supposed to live forever, so were we. They were in right relationship with each other, with nature, and with God. So, without getting all Pat Robertson on you, the result of sin is sickness, world catastrophe, and death. Now, that we've gotten that out of the way, let's talk about something lighter. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there suffering in the world? Why do all of these things that seemingly are too much for us to handle continue to persist in our lives? I don't have an answer for that. That's not as easy as saying sin exists. But in a way, that is the answer. Because sin exists and we are no longer in right relationship with each other, meaning humanity, we are in no longer right relationship with all of the world. Remember, Adam and Eve lived in harmony with the animals in the garden. And because we are no longer, we weren't in a right relationship with the Lord until Jesus came, things have been echoing out with the effects of sin from the beginning of time. So in a way, that is why suffering exists. Now I often think of a Dominican nun that I worked with last year who just had a beautiful way of encapsulating life. But she said to me one time, she says, Father, I always ask the Lord for sufferings because I think I can handle them. And then as soon as he gives them to me, I ask him to immediately take them away. <laughs> when things are going well for us, it's difficult for us to remember the mindset of when things weren't going well. Recently, I heard an interview, and in it, the man being interviewed said the following. He said, healthy people can have over a thousand desires in a day. A sick person has only one desire. Those who endure sickness, medical hardship, and strife would give anything just to be made whole, to be healed, or to simply no longer be in pain. Today in the Gospel, we read about the woman who just wants to be healed. For 12 years, she has endured hardship with no hope of recovery. No hope, that is, until Jesus comes to town. Now maybe she has heard of the miracles and the healings that he has already performed, and that's what gives, gives her the courage to approach him. Or maybe she would have approached anyone who came to town claiming to be a healer. What's important is that after years of having medical problems, 
she is healed. But what if Jesus had not healed her? What if he had just turned to her and said, your sins are forgiven? Would we think that Jesus was any less miraculous if he had only done that? I think a lot of times we ask for a healing for ourselves or others. We pray for a miracle. We go on pilgrimage to Lourdes or another holy site, and we expect the Lord to heal us or our loved one. And yet, the suffering remains. So what are we supposed to do then? What if our loved one is so incapacitated by suffering that they just want to die? The church has always had a different approach when it comes to suffering. As Catholics, our understanding of suffering is taken directly from Jesus and his passion. He suffered, and that suffering was salvific. We suffer, and that suffering can also be used for the salvation of souls. Not that we are also saviors or that we can redeem each other or ourselves, but rather, because of how time exists around God, our sufferings, great and small, can be united with him on the cross. As I said in a homily a few weeks ago, God sees everything in the eternal present. Time is not a linear equation for God, but everything that is happening, or has happened, or will happen, is happening all at once before God. Therefore, because it is all happening at once, the sacrifice of the cross is always and unceasingly happening. This is what allows us, every time we come to Mass, to be transported to the foot of the cross so that we can enter into the saving action of the cross. Therefore, when we stub our toe, when the day doesn't go the way we want, when we have medical problems that bring us suffering, or even when we are in the midst of dying, the Church has always taught that we should strive to unite our sufferings with the sufferings of Christ as an offering and as a prayer. For even though the cross happened in chronological time 2,000 years ago, the Lord can take our suffering and apply it as grace to those people that we pray for in whatever decade or age we find ourselves in. Pope John Paul II said, Your sufferings, acceptable and born with unshakable faith, when joined to those of Christ, take on extraordinary value for the life of the Church and for the good of humanity. So we return to the Gospel. The Lord heals the woman, and she rejoices that after 12 years of pain, she is free. We take hope in that, and we continue to pray for and to ask the Lord to heal those people that we know and love and desire their healing. But if, in his providence, the Lord chooses to withhold that healing, let us not lose hope. We should always turn back to the Lord and offer him our most minor and major sufferings as a gift pleasing to him.